0: fellows. I return bearing rich discussion. I've been fortunate of late in getting to chat with a few of my favorite electronic artists about their music for film and television. That streak continues in this chapter of Check the Score. What's so great about this modern era of film music is that as more contemporary pop and experimental recording artists dive into the deepening score pool, fans like me get to hear how their signature styles and personalities are repurposed and reshaped for the visual narrative. This is occurring more and more with the musicians I enjoy, and in this episode, you'll probably hear me trying to contain my beaming admiration in every question I pose to Benjamin John Powers the electronic sound seeker known as Blank Mass. Powers was awarded the Distinguished Ivor Novello Prize for his debut score on 2020's Calm With Horses. He's now followed that feat with his latest grand effort, the score for the Ted Kaczynski biopic, Ted K. And no sophomore slump here. In cloaked guidance, Blank Mass leads us into the solitary existence of the Unabomber in a Montana-set preamble verging on and carrying through his prolonged wave of destruction. I had originally noticed the name Blank Mass because it's such a cool name when he began recording as a solo artist in 2011. I vibed on his early, savaged ambient fields unaware at the time that he had been one half of the hard-electro entity Fuck Buttons, Power's progression into solo artistry has led him to discover a singularly powerful voice as Blank Mass. On successive solo records, from Dumb Flesh to World Eater, and into Animated Violence Mild and Inferno, a heavier door was opened into a darker, more charged electronic subroom. And the more at home I felt. For me, the Blank Mass appeal rests in a corporeal awakening I feel when I play his music. On each cut, I find Blank Mass braving a solitary voyage. He's the last pirate on a ghost ship, his truest sense of direction found in the dense night fog. You might think of his compositions as a barometric pressure gauge to his internal storms. As it turns out, this sensibility and familiarity with lone pursuits of craft in confines of isolation serve Blank Mass well in scoring a film about seclusion and descent. For Ted K, Blank Mass's cues singe with the burn of dry ice, cauterizing both the internal and external landscapes of Kaczynski's menace and rumination. Through close characterization of an antagonist in the realest sense, segments of Ted K highlighted by Blank Mass's score give voice to the disturbed stirrings and ultimate outbursts sprung from the misguided crusade of a madman. So follow along as I get into it with Blank Mass about the challenges he has faced scoring dark subject matter and his instinctive approach to a new direction in his medium. We also get into it about his home in Edinburgh, where I once lived, his relationship with my favorite band, Mogwai, and many other things film and music and film music related. Let's go. This is your place in Edinburgh. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just outside of Edinburgh about uh, 13 miles out. I'm actually in East Lothian. Um, So yeah, it's good. (laughs) So
0: orient me a little bit. I used to live in. I lived in Edinburgh for almost almost two years. Yeah.
1: Okay, right. So I'm I'm further along the uh, along the East Coast. Um, so Edinburgh city center, we're kind of slightly Southeast. Where did you live when you were here?
0: Uh, a few different places. I lived in Brunsfield. Oh yeah. I lived in, uh, Mor- morning- is Morningside? Morningside,
1: absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that's by the links, is it not? hmm Yeah. Which was your bar? Which bar did you go to? That I won't be able to remember. Banshee Labyrinth, no, you never, you never went there, Bannermans. Bannermans I went to. Is What's the one that's right on the edge of the
1: links? Is that Bannermans? Bannermans is um, ac- across Northbridge and down the small street there. And then you've got Banshee Labyrinth on the left-hand side. It's on the way down to the Cowgate. Cowgate, right. In fact, Bannermans is, ba- is pretty much uh, straight across the... R- well, closer to town from um, Sneaky Pete's. Okay. The venue. Are these... Y-
0: are these your pubs? Are these your go-to places? These are like
1: the two heavy metal, they're, they're like next door to each other. These are the, the heavy metal pubs. And I tend to go to those because, you know.
0: Because yeah. of the jukebox or the, the performances.
1: I, I, I kind of have my roots in heavy metal. You know, I, I go in there and, you know, they'll be playing, you know, Iron Monkey from time to time. And, you know, it's good. It, it, you know, sprinkled in between like Green Day and stuff like that. But, I, it, you know, it's, it's a good spot. It's a dive bar. I like a dive bar.
0: Me too. Yeah, I'm more, most comfortable in the dive bars, the ones that have layers of beer and sweat and smoke li- lined over every panel of the wall. And you can table. feel the
1: history. I want I want to be able to hit, feel the history stick into the soles of my shoes. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> so you, I'm sorry. So you live outside of edinburgh but you your
1: studio is in or is that no that's outside of edinburgh too i mean pretty much uh when covid hit and i knew i wasn't going to be touring for the foreseeable future i made a couple of changes to the studio space that i use so that i could be a little bit more self-sufficient and not have to go into another studio uh for for the time being especially um regarding the subject matter we're going to chat about today um Sure. It's quite important to be able to be self, self-sufficient self during that and not really have to go too far. We can, you know, we're starting to be able to now. But, you know, when I first started scoring Ted K, it was an absolute no-go outside. Um, right. So, yeah, to make a long story short, th- this is the place I did it all from. And do you go in? How
0: often are you in town? Are you just in town for meetings and just to get some culture
1: or...? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the bar I mentioned earlier, Banshee Labyrinth. A friend of mine runs shows down there. He runs a night called Broad Gigs, and you know, he, I've I've seen Wolf Eyes play down at the Banshee Labyrinth to a room full of forty people, and you know, Aaron Dillaway, and he he does a lot of the more kind of like obscure noise side of stuff, the stuff that I kind of grew up on to a degree. So um, so I'll go to his shows for sure, and then. You know i tend to i tend to venture over to glasgow um if i really want to you know outside of the broad gigs thing and nothing ever happens here another bunch of guys who do shows in uh in edinburgh um that i feel a kind of kinship with you know that kind of that kind of side of edinburgh culture but glasgow is a is a spot where you know i have a, a lot more friends who live in glasgow you know the mogwai guys and all of these guys are um all of these peeps are over there so I, I tend to kind of more gravitate towards that if I'm if I'm gonna go go out out you know <laughs> um, but um, you know the, the world I found myself in over the past couple of years at least has become a lot more recluse and you know I will, I'll, I'll like I'll throw like 15 hours into a day here now uh, so so that's that's me right now.
0: I, I, I do want to get into how that impacted the score for Ted K because it sounds like it did have a tangible impact on on your mind state and what came out
1: yeah And Uh, and I mean even you know just historically the way that I've approached any kind of writing process I'm not like you know I wasn't classically trained so I don't I don't write the score out for you know this for brass and this for this for strings and you know this for this for vocals or whatever I I experiment with what I have in front of me and that's always been the case, even writing, you know, Blank Mass proper releases in the sense that, you know, Blank Mass studio pop albums, if you like, um, if such a thing was to exist. Um, I've always approached it that way. So obviously scoring, you know, it's the same. It's kind of the same difference at the moment for me. It's highly explorative um, the, the way that I find myself in these in these kind of places. and. That, that's never changed. So that is even more time consuming when you're scoring a TV show or a feature length or something and there's much more to and fro. Um, so yeah, Recluse.
0: Well, probably i i would imagine in this respect for this kind of film and this kind of subject matter it it could have only helped what what the output was
1: i mean there's, there's yeah the, the the subject matter in ted k is one of isolation and descent you know um and not to say that I <laughs> des- descended in not to say that I descended in the same way that Ted Kaczynski did by any stretch of the imagination, right. but you do feel yourself kind of, you know, going kind of spiraling into a certain place, and obviously the isolation is a big key factor when I was scoring this, so that certainly helped. Another another factor which was um, equally um, mentally relevant was the fact that Tony, the director, was in British Columbia at the time, and I was obviously in Edinburgh. So, you know, I would, I would refer to things from the previous day, first thing in the morning, and then have the, the middle of the day off would kind of be my night time. And then when Tony woke up and we would be speaking about, you know, what needs to happen with a cue, what needs to happen potentially, you know, thematically for the next cue, that would be my night time. So I would be I would be on a kind of, it's like I was almost doing like a night shift, essentially. So that added to the whole experience somewhat. And I think probably, um, you know, the way that the score manifested itself, that probably had some kind of impact, I would say. Did
0: you find it was important to learn about Ted Kaczynski a bit, um, read up on him? I'd always known the figure and been familiar with what he did to a certain degree, but I hadn't really gotten into the details of it until actually just the past week or so uh did did you feel like curious did you know a lot about him or did you learn a lot in this in this process
1: I think we don't know as much about Ted Kaczynski in the UK as you guys do over there obviously um but I was obviously you know I was aware you know he's a he's he's well known around the world I think but not not so not as well known over here I mean I knew a couple of basics, but I didn't really know the ins and outs of his personality, um, as I feel, in the same way that I feel like I do now. It's a story that's been very well documented, but you know, with regards to his brother David, I didn't realize that was what, I didn't know that. And I wasn't aware of how he acted as a person, as, as is reflected in the, in the movie, so um, I was kind of learning as I was going along, to be quite honest with you. Um, which I think is, you know, quite a, if you don't come loaded with any kind of like preconceptions, I feel like it's, it's explorative in its own sense, doing it in that way. And whether that was a benefit or not, I don't know, but that was certainly the case, you know.
0: It seemed to me that the, the director's angle here was to intensify kind of what bubbles and burns underneath in a troubled psyche, in a troubled state of mind, and, and this kind of outlier and someone who doesn't fit into the world and is at odds with modern society and technology. It, it seemed to want to get more into his internal area and space rather than focus on violence that was wrought.
1: I mean, it's, it's very interesting in, in that sense, you know, that you don't hear the, the word Unabomber mentioned until right close to the end of the film. You know, this whole time you're with Ted, not the Unabomber, although, you know, this is, you know, the, the, the goings on are what um, become the Unabomber. So I found that aspect quite interesting. Um, I guess a lot of people over here wouldn't even know his name. They know they know who the Unabomber is, but they didn't. They wouldn't know that the Unabomber is Ted Kaczynski. Were you given a sort of idea? I'm sorry, the director's name again. That's Tony Stone.
0: Tony Stone. Did Tony give you a sense? Was there a lot of discussion at first about the angle that he wanted to pursue and kind of getting more into the figure as opposed to his his actions? And was it the calm with horses score that attracted? him to you originally
1: it was um I, I think i think he saw that i could um to a to a reasonable level of success inhabit somebody's internal uh, thought processes and dialogues you know um and i think that you know that was a reference point when i was first approached To a, to a degree, you know, I think there are some similarities between the the lead in um, *Can't With Horses* and Ted Kaczynski himself. You know, they're both very highly troubled individuals. Uh, but I think I think you're bang on the money. That was that was uh, a consideration when I was approached. Yeah.
0: Did he give you any guidance, or was he just kind of like, "Go for it"? Like, this is the script, and here's here's the footage, and go for it.
1: Go for it. Quite honestly, yeah. I'm not going to lie about that. It's um. You know, I think I think he'd seen that I could do something based around what he kind of envisaged, um, and the, you know, the um, the palette was very very different. I mean, I I felt that I really wanted to kind of push home the electronic side of things uh, with a sense of cold as opposed to a sense of warmth, which I guess is "Calm with Horses" has more of a sense of warmth, but I feel like you know Ted K has a much more sense of cold stark you know brutal um but I you know the first thing I sent through to Tony with no direction at this point whatsoever really was the Montana main theme and obviously that first scene it just looked like a Sergio Leone to me you know
0: (laughs) yeah the mountains and everything
1: yeah and the snowmobiles I mean it just it just it it, it, I I got this overwhelming sense of like kind of spaghetti westerns and the isolation and just the, the 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 grand the grandeur of it. So, that piece of music that I sent through, um, it, you know, it was straight off the bat. It was like, well, this is this is the main theme, isn't it? And I wasn't, I didn't. There was no pushback on that, that cue whatsoever. Which is, you know, it's it's you know, it's magic, isn't it, when that happens?
0: And so that kind of set the tone. Once you sent to Matt, it was just kind of like take it from there, right?
1: That set the tone, and obviously, you know, there's a there, like. I, I feel like. I'm a real strong believer in the main theme, you know, like the identity. You know, this is what you hear when when you think of this movie. This is the music you think of, you know. In a, in a john williams sense to to a certain degree i feel like that's um something that maybe gets a little overlooked from time to time nowadays in like in contemporary um film scoring um not to say it's wrong i just for me personally i, I want somebody to be able to like make this uh connection so yeah <laughs> i think i went on a tangent there
0: no you're you're a, an advocate for themes and I uh, growing up in in the era of film scoring that I did that was mostly what you got you got themes and then you got other themes and you got themes derived from the main theme and yeah. it has progressed or shifted and and more te- you know kind of textural and atmospheric music which i i like See, i love I all love that i love
1: all that too you know that's yeah kind of my bread and butter <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. nice to be able to you know unashamedly go there do you know what i mean um yeah it's it's nice it's it's quite liberating in a sense you know i've been like i've spent years and years and years you know articulating over does this texturally does this texture is you know what's 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 the relationship and now i'm just like Balls to the wall, let's have a theme, <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah, let's go for it. No, it really is, is, the textures kind of fall underneath kind of naturally probably from a main theme. And yeah, and I do want to ask you about that because my first impression of that was very warlord, emperor kind of death march feeling to it. And I wonder if there is some sort of suggestion of the delusion of Ted Kaczynski that he was a more important person than he than he really was.
1: Pretty much on the mark there. I mean you, you can you can look at you can look at the main theme as being part of Ted's internal score, if you like. You know, he saw himself as the savior against for for humanity against modern technology. So in a way that it yes, delusion is a is a great way of putting putting it, you know, He, you know, he he, he feels like he's going into battle. You know, he feels like he's going into battle against modern technology by, by whatever means necessary with, as we all know, fucking tragic repercussions. I'd say you were bang on the money there, and I'm glad you said that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the impression I got. But it's also interesting to me, you know, there are these people who are, you know, as I said, societal outliers, and they kind of exist on the fringe or completely secluded as he was. What I've gathered from either limited interaction with people like this or just kind of um, examinations of them in art and culture uh, or or literature, that there's... Um, there's an unpredictability, almost like you you never quite know what's going to set this person off, and there's a very kind of quick trigger for people like this, and the more alienated they become because they can't get along with people, they can't communicate with people, kind of the more more of this descent occurs. I guess what I'm what I'm ultimately getting at is there were moments of the film that I thought when Kaczynski was trying to interact with people as much as he could tolerate, that it was kind of funny how he would break and veer off into irritability. And that was amusing, as well as terrifying. So I wonder if there was any consideration of that in in the way that you approach the music.
1: I mean something like Becky's theme, for example. You know the scene in the library. You know in in Ted's head, and you know his his attitude towards women. You know is we, we don't even really need to discuss that. It's glaringly apparent. You know in in the movie and from from what we know about him. But I mean, you know this is. I think you know there there is a bit of a gag moment there, and I think it is kind of funny. You know, like with the score as well. As this. It's almost like this romantic theme, you know, that, that happens and then all of a sudden, you're just straight back into like the kind of, you know, mundane sounds of the library and it does, it does feel like a gag, you know, there are there are there are moments where I think that is a, a particularly helpful tool in just uh, demonstrating the absurdity.
0: Was that your first? Rome, r- sort of romantic love theme that you had done for a movie, or yeah,
1: do you know what I think? I think *Calm with Horses* has a few of those going on in there. Oh sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> but maybe not that ostentatious. It, maybe yeah, that's yeah. the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Or on the nose. Or on whatever, the nose yeah. is what I was looking for. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that on the nose. Um,
0: I thought it was interesting the use of classical music as source music. That was interspersed between your cues and themes. Yeah, and I wonder if that was some sort of reflection of what Ted Kaczynski would like to listen to. Or, you know, is he against all technology? Would he have liked your music? (laughs) Well, I find
1: I find this. uh, I find the whole concept that Tony asked, like a a composer musician who primarily is based in electronics, to score a film about Ted Kaczynski. I mean, the, the irony is not lost on me on that one right. and, I, and I did feel like that was almost kind of like a a, a green light to, to go there with that. Do you know what right. I mean? Um, yeah. To, to kind of push that home a lot and you know, you really do see that in cues, for example, the revenge queue here where the, saw, the sawmill scenario, um, you know, that kind of thing. I really kind of pushed that one home, uh, Cold Electronics. Just from the information that I've been presented about Ted Kaczynski, I have a sneaking suspicion that he probably wouldn't be too happy about that. <laughs> I think that may be like one for Tony though. I do, I do remember asking him. There's a lot, you know. There's lots of Valdi going on and stuff like that in there, that, in, in the uh, in the soundtrack, not in the score of it, you know. And I am, um, if I recall correctly, that you know that was the kind of stuff that Ted would listen to on his radio, you know.
0: Yeah. So maybe that was just his way of kind of presenting Ted's appreciation of music. or, But it did create a sort of sonic balance, though, that was nice that you weren't getting hammered over the head the whole time with deep, dark synths. It was kind of like a respite area where you would, there was a calm, there was a, a relief there. want to go backwards a little bit and ask you about Calm with Horses and mm-hmm. and since that was your first score yeah you won the Ivor Novello uh for that correct yeah. yeah yeah uh what what was that like I mean for your first attempt at something it's like uh it's like a stand-up comedian going out for the first time on the stage and just tearing the house down with his first set kind of like oh wow maybe I'm good at
1: this did that
0: <laughs> did that uh
1: <laughs> Was that real? I mean, it must have been very surprising. Of course, yeah, it was. Uh, I, it was extremely surprising. Um, it, you know, it felt it felt great. It was as as I'm sure most um, artists do. You know, always have a touch of the imposter syndrome. I think it's actually healthy to have the imposter syndrome. If you don't have it, I think you start believing the hype a lot. <laughs> so yeah, so absolutely, it was surprising, um, but. I'd already scored Ted by the time that I won that.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: I. You know, I. I was already working on multiple other projects by scores by the time I, I won that.
0: So, so it's not like there was this pressure that you felt like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Ivor Novello Award winner, and now I have to follow this up with. Uh, there's a pressure now and
1: expectation of what I can deliver. So that didn't factor in. I, I would, I would say that I don't, I don't really feel. The pressure i mean i I feel like it's it's possible to score movies now that's that's what I take from it you know i i've I've always wanted to score movies it's kind of been my dream since i was since I was a child basically um and what what that says to me is it's like you you can't you can do it you know that's what it says to me not that you need an award to be able to to feel like you can but it it's it, 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 it 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 felt like, uh, I felt an affirmation to a degree, you you know, and and, and, a respect of peers and people I've looked up to for years or whatever. So, um, I, you know, it's flattery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what it is, really. But there's still loads of work to do.
0: That film, Calm With Horses, which oddly is called something else on Netflix, I don't know Uh, why that
1: is. Over there it is. It's called called The Shadow of Violence for the North American market. I think they do quite a lot of that, don't they? Um, Right. I mean, if I'm... I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but I think Calm With Horses is a a more apt title.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. The kind of uh, gravity in the presence of arm, Cosmo Jarvis, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That movie builds to this unbelievable finish. You kind of gotta have to stick with it a bit, but it all is rewarded in the end. I think right after the car chase where Arm gets shot, and then everything that follows from there, especially to that very emotional final scene where he's talking to his wife on the phone and saying his goodbyes, essentially i was really really moved by that i thought it was uh that incredible performance
1: yeah and you know what like inside information here he did that all in one take and he, that that um that brought um that it during the nick told me this during the audition it reduced everybody to tears oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. incredibly powerful I, I love the um scoring that actually came that, that actually quite came quite easy to me scoring that thing I, I just felt like I knew the palette that it needed and you know this idea of surrender is something that I've definitely kind of um, had to adapt into my daily process um, in you know in more in more than one way you know um, so so that felt um, very very on point and very poignant to me um, yeah yeah some scene out.
0: I mean, and then he's—you know—he looks down at his hand with the bite mark that his son gave him. Oh my God, my heart broke. You have to step up to the plate when you're scoring a, a scene like that, right? It's like
1: yeah, yeah. But I tell you something, you know—you t- t- know—talking about Nick right now. Nick is—he has such a clear idea of what he wants. I feel like you know, some stuff you spend hours experimenting, and it's fun in the process, and you learn a lot of new stuff in the in the, in the process too, and you find this weird place and you're like oh fuck you know this is this is out there but this works somehow with nick it's like there's so many adjectives flying around this is what this is what we need. i have like uh, lists of just ad- adjectives and uh, emotions like um pages and pages and pages per scene and he's so direct in what he wants to be accomplished that i feel like it, it, you know that's a, that's like a director isn't it you know yeah um And we're really good friends, and he's, uh, I, 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 like, it's, it feels like now we both know, you know, we have this kind of, like, link where I know what he wants, he, and he knows what I'm gonna do in a scene, so it's nice to, it's nice to have that relationship with somebody, absolutely.
0: Very briefly, um, and please let me know if you're, if you're needing to go, I do have a- No, you're good. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the break, I've just been, yeah,
1: it's nice to chat about this stuff, you know.
0: Excellent. No, I'm, I'm happy because I, I can chat about this stuff all day. I did want to talk about the car chase. I could have watched that for another 10 minutes. I mean, honestly, just the cars going through the mountains and through the, I mean, it was the scenery and the and the way it was filmed. And it seems like almost like it was handheld in the car and you could feel the motion of the car and and the pursuit. And I just got charged up by that. And it made me think, what are the best car chase scenes? in film history and what's the kind of music that accompanies it. The most effective seems to be what you did in a sense in your own way, which is to have this kind of pulsating, rhythmic, bass kick pattern that was heightening the intensity of the moment and the energy and the anxiety and the stress that that uh, Arm must have been feeling having just gotten shot and now trying to flee and, and get away from the, his pursuer. Is that something that you just said, okay, I'm just going to approach this instinctively, or do you want to say, oh, this is a car chase. How did, How is
1: this done? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, actually, because I've never... Uh, I'm, I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm particularly au fait with action movies, to be quite honest with you, other than, like, the big hitters. N- not being au fait with action movies d- d- doesn't mean by uh, any any stretch that I'm not into it. It just th- They've just never been really my first kind of go-to spot, apart from the 80s ones that I watched when I was when I was a yeah. kid. But I, I would say you're right. I'd say instinctive. I mean, most of it is instinctive, really, for me, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it was just an exercise for me to see how uh, how car chases are scored because you really brought out the, the, the drama of that moment in the way that you scored it. It was pretty simple, but it was very uh, effective in that way.
1: What I wanted to kind of, like bring out in that as well, there's kind of a seasickness I felt to to that car chase in particular, you know, not that I've scored any other ones at at this point. That's my only car chase at this point, but I did feel uh, like there's a queasiness, do you know what I mean? Maybe it's something to do with the the cinematography and uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like a queasiness, a seasickness that I wanted to kind of like infiltrate the action with, you know. But uh, you've intrigued me now, I feel like I have to go back and watch a bunch of car chases and see how it's done.
0: I'd say drive is a great example. Um, although that was not a well, that wasn't a score composer. That was Chromatics.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, okay.
0: That opening sequence was tick of the clock, uh-huh. which they yeah. subsequently used in a car commercial, much to my dismay. And and of course Tenet was great because you know it's all like meant to be backwards, and you know these playing with the linearity of time with his very frenetic, very up tempo music to that.
1: It's, it's interesting you said that. Actually, the the, the frenetic nature of it. I f- I also f- felt like you know you're you're in, you you know you're still in arm's head at, at that point. Um, but maybe maybe subconsciously it was like you know we've been we've been in such a place. You know we've been so intern apart from the club scene, mind you. Um, we've right. been we've been in which is still essentially. A combination of internal dialogue and like diegetic club music, which was amazing, and it took a long time to get that scene right. But I think um, maybe at that point I was like, "Fuck, we've spent so much time inside this guy's head. Right, there's some action here. Let's go. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Let's yeah. let let's hammer it home.
0: Well, it it that movie closes like a freight train, and I th- I'm gonna go back to it again for sure. were some of your kind of like early influences w- with score composers or movies that you that you said oh this is what I want to do. You know that w- give me some of your background about wanting to score films.
1: I mean one of the earliest pieces of music that I could remember as a child and you know I I've, I've been a huge fan for forever is you know the Ennio Morricone the, the score to the good, the bad and the ugly and you know the main the main theme there like I you know I, I, I almost remember hearing that as one of the first pieces of music that I ever heard um, and obviously you know as a as a tiny child you don't really know exactly where it's from and then you start to you know as you as you grow as you get a little bit older you start to put the pieces together oh this is music that's made for this thing that you know I'm watching and then you start to pay more attention to the music that's happening in movies and such. But I would say that was the first kind of instance. And, you know, you know, and to this day, I remain a huge Morricone fan. Um, Rest in peace. Yeah. So, you know, even even when score, even when even when scoring, even when writing Fuck Buttons albums and Blank Mass albums, you know, the idea of narrative has always been very, very strong within anything I do. I mean, I, I almost feel like most records I've done, feel to me like soundtracks that don't have an accompanying in picture you know so yeah that's that. that's me <laughs> basically
0: would you say that inferno is a good example of that because yeah. of what was going on in your life and just everything just kind of like it was a soundtrack in a sense to your internal space and psychology
1: yeah absolutely yeah it was um that there, there, there is a hint of nostalgia there but i think the concept there is um trying to i mean it's very very personal to me that one it's uh, you know there's a lot of things that had been happening with me on a personal level throughout those the time when i was collecting those field recordings and way before so it was you know it's is cathartic that one um and i and i appreciate that to a lot of people who might prefer the industrial beats and such uh, that I've become, you know, known for over the past six, seven years. Um, It might not be for them, but the fact that I was able to share that with people, hopefully they can maybe feel what I felt to a degree. But yes, I would say that is a, that's a score. All that's for what's going on in here, you
0: know. No, I think it was a f- very effective in that way and very tangible in that Thank way. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh it, it it made sense to me that oh, you know, uh this composer can can slide into this medium w- without much trouble, maybe. I mean, did you did you feel like in your recording history with fuck buttons and certainly blank mass at moments there's it seems like you want to kind of test these thresholds. I've often thought about some of the more, the heavier parts of your music, like the experiences like entering a stormy sea. Mm -hmm. And then at first it might be jolting, but once you adjust to the environment, you really kind of settle into it and and accept your environment. I feel that a lot throughout your music. There are these moments though, where it is kind of, you kind of have to brace yourself and just get acclimated. Do you see that as when you scoring film, you kind of have to rein that in because you can't be too overwhelming with the score?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It really depends on what the 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 director wants. I mean, you know, I'm, historically, and um, you know, I, I I will throw everything at one spot. You do you know what I mean? I I'll throw it all at one spot. And a lot of the time, you know, in in the same way that I, I will write Blank Mass albums. Um, a big part of the process is 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 just going to the maximum point and then kind of structuring around the maximum point is is kind of the same with with scoring you know to that degree there are some places where you can really get away with it but i mean if you're throwing everything at one particular spot i mean at points you're going to drown out dialogue you know so you have to pull it back a little bit i mean to be fair in ted k there was there's a couple of spots where i really did go full out um one part towards the end where it was it was you know ex- extreme and that that's the good thing you know that you know going back to a question you asked earlier on about like do you do you feel like you have to adhere to what is perceived as uh, an acceptable practice for scoring um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you you maybe do to a degree, and I feel like, you know, when I've found myself in those situations, I have had, you know, directors come back and say, you can just be as blank mass as you want here. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, you fucking asked for it. <laughs> You know, my first band is called Fuck well, you know, the full blank mask, you know, the band's called Fuck Buttons, for God's sake. I mean <laughs> What are you playing at? It is, but you know, even with fuck button stuff, as full throttle as it
0: gets, I feel that as I say, once you're settled in, it becomes meditative almost. There's a kind of a wavelength that you ca- that you glom onto and then your ears and your sensibility kind of adjust, and then you're kind of well. In my case, anyway, I just kind of float, start floating into it, and I found that's a really interesting place to be, and has a lot of potential with 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 certain films. You know,
1: it's like one of those magic eye pictures, isn't it? It's like once you're locked in, you're like there. Sometimes it can take a while to get there, but once you're locked in, you start fe- you start seeing. This is a this is such a nineties metaphor. I'm so sorry. You start, you start to notice things, you know. Once you're locked in, and you know, it's the same with like music that is somewhat repetitive and meditative. You know, once you once you lock in, you start to hear things that you couldn't hear before, and certain nuances within drone, and such that present themselves. That um, on a on a shorter voyage with it, if you like, you just don't have the time to find find these places and find these find these sonics and um I mean, that's different in in film too, because, you know, quite often you don't have the the time to lock into these places. So that's why you just write a huge theme and then everybody has to remember it.
0: That's interesting i was gonna say because you have you're you're known for quite long pieces of music 10 minutes 11 minutes even in like inferno 20 20 minutes long yeah was that a challenge for you in film music to be like oh i gotta make something a minute and 32 seconds long here do you do you build a long piece of music and then carve something out? Or do you just start and say, okay, this has to be short and I'm just gonna make it, you know?
1: I mean, one of my projects I'm working on right now, you know, some of the cues are 30 seconds long and that would absolutely blow my mind uh, about, that would have blown my mind about three or four years ago. It would have been like, I have no time. Like, I have no time to say anything within that time. And that's obviously bullshit. Do you know what I mean? complete bullshit I mean that's some of the hardest stuff to do really it's just not uh, it's it's a new practice for me and I'm you know I'm excited about being being in that place but you know when you've got like a seven minute long queue you're like oh I got this no problem and you're like well hang on yeah I, I would have it if I'm only saying one thing for seven minutes but you're never just saying one thing for seven minutes right but, you know, I can go and listen to a 20 minute techno song afterwards if I need to. If right.
0: I I am interested, though, in this idea of growth through projects. And I know that I read somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, that you used the OP1 on uh, Calm With Horses.
1: Oh, the, uh, the, uh, the OB6. <laughs> the synth? The Oberheim clone. This guy here, this guy right here. Yeah.
0: Oh, OK. Wow.
1: I, I i do have an op1 but i haven't really I haven't really um used that much for the scoring side of things actually the o, the op one hasn't been like something that i grab go to to grab ted k actually a lot of that was iridium the 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 waldorf thing um which i which i got uh, I, I got a hold of one just before i started with ted k but yeah calm with horses a lot of ob6 it's super warm I I joke that this is my Nick Roland synth over here, the 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 one that I always say is that y- you know the the original Oberheim. This was like made famous uh, via the Van Halen jump.
0: Synth oh, is fan. that right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But this is a clone, a Dave Smith clone. But um, yeah. Well, um, are you do? Would you
0: consider yourself a gearhead then? Like you're always looking for synths and.
1: I mean, I have been historically, but. Um, gear's expensive man
0: sure yeah
1: i'm not like i i feel like there is definitely like a a snobbery that can kind of come with a lot of gear and i don't really buy into that i mean you you see it quite a lot you know especially in the kind of modular world i guess um i don't really buy into that i feel like i feel like people should be able to make music even if they don't have a shit ton of money do you know what i mean it's
0: absolutely yeah you, you kind of want to you latch onto something and like the sound of it and want to get the most out of it rather than, you know, let me find all these tools to play with. And...
1: I'll, I'll milk a sound dry.
0: <laughs>
1: Basically, if it if it works for me, I'll, I'll 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 really I'll really take it home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think there's any shame in that, to be quite honest. No,
0: I brought up the OP one main because uh, because I know you mentioned it somewhere. Um, and and also, you know, Nick Zinner from Yeah, Yeah, Yes. He scored this film I think it was his first score for the film called Knives and Skin. And I spoke to him about it. He said he used the OP one for the entire score. Just that,
1: just that see, that's great, isn't it?
0: It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. That means that like dude is probably like scoring it when he's at the airport and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know.
0: Mode was on BBC six exploring electronic film scores. It was like listener submissions on what are the coolest electronic film cues, right? And one that came in was from There Will Be Blood, obviously Johnny Greenwood. And I, what I didn't realize that I learned from that episode is that he used the Ondis Martino. Uh, have you heard it it's like a very old electro one of the first electronic keyboards for that
1: I, i'm not have, uh, i'm not gonna lie i'm not familiar you, you're you're teaching me something right now
0: it's he seems to want to um explore all the ways to stretch the medium and and to maybe shift from the the original intention of the instrument and use it for something else and i, I just think maybe film gives you all these ways of 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 exploring that you know
1: I do like that um, mentality I mean I you know historically I've never really kind of with any bit of gear that I've bought I've never really um, read read the manual <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. one maybe because I'm too impatient secondly I feel like you know if you don't have somebody kind of like prescribing this is how you're supposed to use this thing you kind of like start to find like generate your own kind of schematic and relationship with a bit of equipment and I feel like that um, ultimately like results in something way more fun and way more honest it's great you know it's it's like it's it's explorative it's like being a being a kid again to a degree you know and it you know again like you know I keep on saying it but you know that's where I kind of have my roots in experimenting with these things and trying to um find weird and wonderful uses for them and it doesn't really change that's why it can take a long time for me to score something whereas you know if I was classically trained and I could just write it down all on a piece of paper and say you guys play this and it sounds fucking amazing instantly do you know what I mean um maybe one day Hopefully one day.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Although I like the space you're in right now very much. Um, You
1: got to try everything at least once though.
0: Yeah. I mean, can you see yourself writing for a A 80 piece orchestra one day or or that is just an entirely different realm of, of.
1: That is, that is something I want to do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So that's, it's good to hear that you're, it sounds like you're, you've been waiting a long time to find a way into scoring and, you've entered the realm and you're looking forward to continuing, which is exciting for me because you're one of my favorite composers. And Thank um, you
1: so much, man.
0: Really. And and when I found out that you, that you were in getting into scoring, which is really my, I don't know if you could probably tell, my favorite artistic medium and I appreciate it so much. And and it's always exciting. It's very thrilling when uh, somebody who's, whose music I appreciate as a recording artist decides to turn to scoring and, what one example of that recently was uh, Tim Hecker.
1: Oh yeah, see, I've still not seen the the, nor- the North Water, right? Amazing. Yeah, I've not seen it yet, but I mean, it's certainly on my list, and I've heard exactly the same. And I'm a, oh. you know, I love I love Tim stuff. It's he's texturally, he's like he's, he's out there, you know. There's, there's there's not a lot of contemporaries that that, that match him.
0: I I'm glad. Very
1: keen to watch this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pl- I, I can't wait for you to actually. I think you're really going to love it. It's brutal. Good. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty brutal. Good. Some very heavy moments. No, but such a... Fa- I mean, again, almost like you were talking about the irony of bringing your music into a, a film that dealt with the subject matter of somebody who was so anti-electronics and technology and so forth. There was an irony, too, of bringing elements that Tim is known for into a a a series about a whaling vessel in the 1800s it was just a, a wild combination but that's what's so exciting yeah is that when it works it works so well because you're not expecting it and then all of a sudden it's like wow I would not have figured on that working so well here but it does
1: interesting. I mean, like, I don't know, the The last time I, the last time I saw Tim Hecker, I think I was actually playing a show with him in Glasgow, um, live in a church. And the, there's something certainly like being in the crowd at one of his shows. It's extremely powerful. And it, it's like being inside a tornado.
0: Totally know what you mean, by the way, because I've experienced that. Sorry to interrupt you. No, yeah. no,
1: no, please. Oh, my God. Um, so, I, I can, I can see, I can absolutely see it working, you know, the, the scale of some of these natural world things, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I I can see it absolutely working. Yeah.
0: I love the, the landscape now where there seems to be more opportunities for people who are more alternative and not as traditional to be uh, allowed to have a voice in in this world. And it's just so exciting. Absolutely, Um,
1: yeah. Can only be thankful for that, really.
0: Right, yeah. May May it continue, right? Just quickly, having won an award for your score, and I don't know how much attention you pay to, you know, the awards system in in, in American films, or I should say in the States in terms of the Academy Awards and the decision that was just made to remove best original score from the telecast because of some attempt to try to make the actual broadcast more entertaining Or draw more viewers because there's a big ratings issue with the Academy Awards. Certainly last year was the lowest ratings it ever experienced by a long shot. And I think that they're trying to figure on how to make, I guess, the broadcast more interesting or or entertaining or palatable. And they've removed seven categories from the telecast, including best original score, which I think is a total shame. And it just reflects it reflects still what seems to be a lack of appreciation for how important music is and how integral and how essential it is to moving story along. And I just wanted your take on that, I guess.
1: So so the the category is removed entirely or it's just not broadcast?
0: It's not broadcast. So you won't see presumably Hans Zimmer for Dune or Johnny Greenwood for oh. Power of the Dog or even Spencer, which I thought was one of the most incredible scores of the year. I'm so but glad you said that. Yeah, yeah.
1: That was incredible. Right? Yeah.
0: For me, that was like 70% of the movie was the music.
1: Yeah, that 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 was something else, that score. I'm waiting for my um, my copy of, of vinyl of that to arrive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I it, it, yeah it's it's a shame but i feel like <laughs> you know i'm so brand new to this it's almost like i don't um i i can imagine why people are pissed off yeah i can see why people are pissed off it it is a shame you know but but so many so many people get overlooked don't they in this in in, in this kind of stuff you know sometimes score is like the last thing to happen you know Mm-hmm. The film has been uh it's it's been in production for five years oh by the way you've got four weeks to score this movie you know yeah like right. oh yeah okay I, I see i see what your priorities like i'm not complaining but it's it's an observation um it's a shame yeah
0: I, I just think it's interesting because simultaneously i feel like from a consumer standpoint we're at an all-time high for people appreciating the music for film because more and more people are getting to hear. There are more and more scores that you can listen to on their own as a, as a record on its own. There's more dimensions and areas that I feel like directors are allowing for score to come into their films in interesting and experimental ways. And I feel like just based on my own discussions with people, there's a, is, is a real high point for its appreciation. And yet now you here you have award bodies saying oh it's not that it's not that important yeah i guess you have to find the directors that really want the music to be important and i i would assume that the two directors for the films that you worked on were were big on film music
1: very much so yeah very much so i know it's like a huge important part of the film both films to them yeah and yeah. you know that that that's not you know it's 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 nice to have that relationship um it feels like you're part of something as opposed to just doing it. I did want to ask
0: you about a little more about your relationship with Mogwai because they're my favorite band ever.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I was introduced to Mogwai appropriately when I first visited Scotland.
1: Yeah.
0: And then uh, it kind of grew from there. What was the foundation of your guys relationship and how much does movies and scores come into your guys discussions and opinions
1: well a lot more now
0: right right
1: you know i was always a huge mogwai fan as well before i knew the guys um uh, as it happens mogwai took Fuck buttons out on a u.s tour uh i'm gonna say about 10 years ago maybe a little bit longer maybe a bit longer actually and um rock action mogwai's label actually put out the first ever blank mass release the first time the first time it came out um so yeah i mean you know i live next door to them now and they're they're they're, you know really really close friends you know stuart will bring his dogs over here stuart and elizabeth they'll bring their dogs over to our house and we speak about it a lot and when i was first getting into it stuart has been a, a good sounding board for me because you know it's new territory for me really still. It especially it certainly was very new territory for me three and a half years ago. Um, so to have a close friend who's you know on the inside and has been for a, for a lot longer is it, it, it's it's super helpful. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was just you know initially you know through you remember ATP festival you know I guess mm-hmm. we, we would hang out at those and they'd they'd always be playing. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty much that you know. We met through music and came from a similar place musically, especially where volume is concerned, historically, sure. and, and and the rest is you know a natural relationship. You know, we we're, we're good friends.
0: guys sit around and geek out about movies and score composers and watch movies together and, and I notice... think the
1: last film we watched together was a keep actually oh, oh I'm not familiar with this one oh, it's the Michael Mann with the tangerine dream score okay okay yeah all right
0: I gotta I gotta check this one out then
1: oh my god yeah yeah
0: was thief tangerine dream too was that or I don't remember but good question
1: yeah. I know I know the keepers
0: Okay, I'm going to check well that's Tangerine Dream and Michael Mann it's reason enough for me to
1: uh to get into Yeah, that. Michael Mann. This yeah. this scores in well I mean it's, it's it's arguably a soundtrack cross score but The Manhunter is one of my favorites. I got the nice um the the nice reissue of the who put it out maybe it was waxwork. I'm not sure. But the uh that's that's on my that's on my record player downstairs right now. <laughs> that's cool.
0: I'm 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 loving this resurgence of vinyl that we can actually listen to these scores on on vinyl now, which is excellent. Well, listen, I, I'm I'm very excited that you're now a part of this art form. I can't wait to see what comes next. But in any case, I'm just happy that you're you're scoring now. The first time I learned about you in closing. I just want to let you know that I was interviewing Tom Smith of Editors. Oh yeah, at uh, Theater for the Living Arts, I think, in Philadelphia, he was performing there with Editors, and he was, and uh, it was before a show in 2018, I believe. And you had just completed uh, work for that album, Violence, and he was speaking volumes about you and then that's when that's when i first uh, got introduced to your music so it's been all smooth sailing from there well yeah.
1: i will i will i will thank him for for bigging yeah. me up next time i Anything? speak to him which is quite often
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah well listen man it was really cool to to talk with you man
1: yeah absolutely thank, thank you me. so much thanks for having me cheers man all right